on this episode of Oh No, Another Chess Podcast. I, I think, um, okay, so possibly an undervalued skill of, of a chess coach, or, or you could say of a teacher generally, is empathy. Okay, so, I mean, think of non-chess teaching for a second. Uh, I mean, uh, if you're in a maths class and you you call out an answer or you, you give your solution to some mathematical problem and the teacher just says, no, complete, complete nonsense, here's the real answer. Is that useful? I mean, it might be useful to an extent, but I think what would be more useful is for the maths teacher to try to understand why did you think that was a good answer? Hello and welcome to the season finale of Ono Another Chess podcast. In today's episode, I speak with my friend and very first chess coach, Finn O'Donovan. We discuss openings, the concept of chess styles, and how getting input from other players can help level up your game, whether that's a coach or a training partner. Towards the end of the episode, Finn really helps me to organize my thoughts as well as I start to build out a chess study plan going into 2024 with a fresh start. Um, yeah, there will be a hangout as there always is with these episodes, but it will not be on the usual date. Uh, instead of being a week after the episode's release, it will actually be two weeks from the episode's release just so we can get through this holiday period. Um, so that will be on Friday, the 5th of January at 1900 UTC. Thank you to everyone who has listened to the podcast this season. I hope you guys enjoy this final episode. You're listening to Oh No, Another Chess Podcast. Finn, why don't you start by telling us, what do you love most about chess? So what do I love most about chess? I was talking about this with a friend recently, actually, and uh, I think talking, having that conversation made me realize that Okay, so sometimes during a game of chess, it can be at any stage of the game as well. You know, sometimes you just, you look at the position in front of you and you, you get that feeling like this is absolutely crazy. <laughs> um, like you've never seen something like this before. It doesn't have to be a, a sharp position, by the way. It doesn't have to be like tactics or drama. It could be like an end game that you've just, you've never seen that configuration of the pieces before. You've never seen that kind of material imbalance. And I can't think of any other game that I've ever tried, uh, where I've been shocked so many times by the, the kind of the latest crazy thing to happen, right? That just, I've just never seen before, never imagined, never planned for. So I think, I think there's something about that. And, you know, I think when I have a classical game of chess and that feeling doesn't, doesn't appear at any stage, I kind of, Afterwards, I feel a little bit sad, you know, it's like, oh no, you know, it would have been nice to get one of those, those wild things coming up. Um, so, but then of course, when, when I do get something that's so new to me and, and, um, I'd never imagined before, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. Um, and it's kind of like, yeah, this is, this is why I play chess, you know, I feel like that's, that's kind of, in a way, that's the pure test of your chess skill as well when you have to confront something really unknown, at least really unknown to you. And you've got to try to outthink your opponent in that in that crazy situation. So to me that's kind of the, the beauty of chess and the challenge of chess is dealing with those unpredictable moments. Yeah. It really is a game of infinite possibilities and kinda of reminds me of a quote I heard today where uh, someone mentioned that they were watching Bent Larson and someone else in the Skittles room and they were looking at a position. They were like 
both saying, I just have absolutely no idea what's going on here. And, you know, they as an amateur player were feeling slightly better about themselves um, from that. But it's true that, you know, we can reach these crazy positions sometimes where it's just wild what's going on. Right. Yeah, exactly. It happens to, it happens to absolutely everyone. Uh, that's also, that's also part of the beauty of the game, right? Cause you, there might be, I'm sure there are some games out there where at some point you kind of have seen everything. Um, you know, the, the, for the new, yeah. when, when you're learning the game, you, things will be new. Um, but then in chess, it's like, it all seems inexhaustible. Uh, how many, how many like weird and wonderful things can come up and no one can quite. Um, master them all or plan for them all. Yeah, I think that's why chess variants confuse me. I'm like, why do you need a variant? Just play the game. It's 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 hard enough to to get your head around it all anyway. <laughs> I think uh, for people who don't know you, um, I would like to introduce how I met you a little bit. Um, so you were on um, chess journeys, and I uh, I think I reached out to you maybe. But anyways, we somehow connected and you started the Chess Punks Tactics Group, which um, if anyone has not turned up to one of Finn's tactics groups, uh, they should. It's a, it's a really cool community of people just solving puzzles and talking about chess. Um, but yeah, I met uh, Finn through that and then basically reached out to him and said, uh, do you know any uh, good chess coaches? And uh, he said, well, I do a bit of uh, chess coaching as part of my work as a tutor. And at that time, me and my wife and my family were going through a bit of a tough time having just lost our <laughs> all of our worldly possessions in a flood. And, uh, you know, a lot of people in my life helped me out at that time. But, you know, Finn, I remember your ridiculously generous offer uh, of a block of coaching for, uh, <laughs> well, so you definitely weren't making a profit on it anyway. Um, so I really, really appreciated that because I, 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 you know, I knew it was coming for that place. So, um, yeah, that was amazing. And, um, you know, you were my first ever, uh, chess coach and actually to this date, still only chess coach. <laughs> that <I've had. laughs> yeah, that was great. And I think I ended, you know, I had a big rating jump after we worked together as well. You pointed out some pretty obvious flaws in my games too. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to, to mention that to people about you, um, uh, and how kind you are. Um, why don't we, take it back and talk a little bit about the uh, the tactics group uh, where we first met. I think, yeah, I do actually remember the the first time that you came along to one of the meetings, which I think was probably the second or third meeting that we did, perhaps. I, I remember that you joined from from the farm in, in Spain, and I could see it was like pitch black outside your, your outdoors. Um, and I was thinking, uh, and you, know, you mentioned that you've been working on the farm all day, and I was thinking, wow, like, seriously dedicated to solving some some puzzles um joining from from that location um so yeah that that was really cool and i i just remember you know um we got on really well from from the word go um so yeah it was just really fun doing doing the lessons with each other as well i think basically the the reason i formed the tactics group in the first place was really because uh the realization i made about my own chess learning process which is I'm the kind of person who is not strongly motivated to work hard on chess when I'm sitting on my own in a room. I mean, I, I love chess and I sort of make myself do, do that kind of study sometimes. And sometimes I even enjoy it. 
But generally speaking, I'd rather be speaking to someone about chess or or playing someone at chess or or having a social experience while I'm learning, right? And I think, you know, maybe that's not for everyone, but I do think there are many benefits of that approach. I think um, it, it's much easier to challenge one's own way of thinking when you have friends or, or co-workers who, who are going to criticize you and they're going to criticize you from angles you won't consider so naturally or maybe just will never have considered before. So I, I was really thinking, you know, it would be great to just have a kind of learning community to be part of. And I think that will make me motivated to, to you know, do this kind of tactical training. Um, and so, you know, I tried it out and, um, uh, I'm, I'm really pleased with, with how it's gone so far. I mean, it's, um, in some ways it's a kind of bold thing to do, right? Cause I mostly just invite random people from the internet to, to join in the, the, the training, right? And I, I know at times I have been worried, you know, what, what if some people come who are very disruptive or, or, you know, don't, don't follow the rules of how the group works or just, you know, people don't get along with each other, but actually that has never really been a problem somehow. <laughs> so I don't know if it's luck or judgment, but, um, yeah, people, people seem to get on very well. We, we tend to, you know, follow the same patterns and, and we tend to all enjoy the process as well. So yeah, so far, thankfully it's, it's been a really good positive experience. And I've certainly, I, I've probably, um, at this point I'd say I've probably done, uh, around a hundred hours or so of tactics training as part of the group. Um, and that's a lot more than I would have done uh, on my own, right? So it's definitely working from from that from that point of view. Yeah, and I mean, I, do, I don't know about you, but I actually think that I I remember the puzzles because there's a sort of um, a real experience that goes with them, right? You, sometimes you remember the discussion, or you remember specifically who it was in the group that came up with this insane idea that helped us to find the solution. Because you know, spoiler alert: if you're going to go at the tactics group. We don't always get it right. <laughs> There's often a, um, a, a long discussion afterwards before we sort of come to a consensus about what might be the right idea. Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, I, it's the same for me. Like I, um, you know, f- for me, it's just it's just so interesting to see different members, different ways of thinking about positions. You know, so so when someone comes up with an idea that I would never have come up with that that's something that makes the biggest impact for me really Some, sometimes it's not even about the solution you know sometimes it's more about an idea that someone has or a, a way of thinking that someone has and sometimes that's the thing that sticks in my mind as opposed to the actual solution to, to the to the puzzle that we're discussing um so so yeah it's um and and to me that that's kind of the benefits of the the social format of, of the, the training, right? So you, similarly to how when you do a post-mortem with your opponent after a classical game, you, you suddenly, you know, you realize, oh God, you know, they were calculating all these lines that I never even <laughs> thought about. Um, and so it starts planting that seed in your mind of how could I get my brain to start thinking about those, those kind of things, you know? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so hundreds of hours of uh, calculation you've got in this year. Um, 
What else have you been doing this year? What's an update on the the state of your chess uh, over 2023? <laughs> well, I, I would I have to say that um, 2023 has has not been a ter- tremendously successful year for my for my chess from the point of view of rating at least um, because uh, in the past in the the prior couple of years I I actually saw quite a big big improvement. So my my ECF rating, English Chess Federation rating, was kind of steadily climbing. Um, I went from roughly 1,500 to almost 1,700 in over sort of 2021 to 2022. And then this year has been a bit more difficult for various reasons. I mean, partly I just haven't racked up as many games as I, as I wanted. Um, and also when I have played tournaments they've just they've kind of been okay you know no no disasters but um no complete disasters but also i'm seemingly finding it harder to to get the wins recently so uh yeah in terms of my in terms of my aims of meeting my goals it's been a bit of a tricky year and my my rating's sort of kind of stagnating around 1650 that that kind of area um, I also feel that, you know, and this is perhaps partly caused by, um, my training being a bit haphazard and chaotic and, and messy. Um, and in fact, I might be being a bit over generous to myself by calling it a training, <laughs> training routine. I mean, I've got the tactics group, which I'm, I'm doing often, but my personal kind of training and study is, um, uh, not very disciplined at all. Um, so, um, yeah, perhaps that's something we can talk a bit more about later on. But, um, yeah, I, I, um, I think I've been kind of degenerating into just playing a lot of blitz games and not actually doing that much focused, uh, training. So, um, in that sense, I, I feel like, yeah. And of course, of course, I do understand that it's the higher my rating gets, the harder it's going to be to win games and the harder it's going to be to, to gain rating points. So, you know, I'm I'm very much aware that it is going to be tricky to to kind of push forwards from from this point. And yeah, I feel I haven't quite found the right um, approach or the right formula to 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 do that yet. So it's been a bit of a difficult year. And hopefully, 2024, the new year, is going to um, yeah, uh, it's going to allow me to kind of rethink and restructure and hopefully um, push on a bit further. What do you think was different about this year then? We can talk about the, um, the, your, your study plan now. So what, was there a reason that you weren't really getting into rhythm or anything this year? Uh, was it because you were playing the positionally inaccurate E4 by accident this year? <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a bit hard to say. You know, um, I think, I think it's partly, I, I, I suppose, you know, it may partly just be to do with the fact that it's going to be hard to sustain the kind of, the kind of rating increase that I, that I had in the previous years. Um, and I, I did kind of feel like while I was having that good period of, of getting a lot of wins and I, so, so during that, you know, 2021 to 2022 period, I really wasn't losing a lot of games. Um, and I, I, I do think that there was definitely an element of luck there because I was sometimes playing higher rated opponents and sometimes managing to kind of somehow kind of, uh, I guess kind of, um, 
cheat my way into draws and things like that and just getting getting a slice of luck so i kind of kind of felt like um things were going unusually well um and that you know some kind of difficulties were probably going to be around the corner just on balance of probabilities but um yeah i think probably i could pinpoint a couple of couple of things so that might have kind of interfered with the quality of my play and training a little bit i think um first of all um there were just um many weeks this year where i just couldn't make it to my club to, to play a classical game um and i i think it's just kind of boring life stuff getting in the way like moving house family responsibilities sometimes being unwell and uh yeah i think when when you play a classical game serious classical game every single week it does a lot of good it does you a lot of good um so i think to some extent i was just a little bit out of practice and sometimes felt a bit rusty um when i did when i did play rated games um i think um let me let me think so yeah i mean i i remember having games where you know i was in positions that weren't even too complicated or difficult but i was taking a lot of time because i was slightly rusty and then you know you're sort of you, you're under a little bit of time pressure you're kind of okay the position's not too difficult you get a bit lower on time and suddenly start things start getting complicated and you realize why did i waste 20 minutes in a really boring position when <laughs> i really could use that time right now so it's a little bit of just sharpness i guess um and then also i so around about um i guess a year and a half ago may, maybe coming up to 2 years ago i uh i bought um the training planner that um Noel Studer uh put, put, put out around, around that time and it's just a simple little book that is just a, a kind of prompt to help you structure your your training and actually i stuck to that i, I stuck to that for for quite quite a period of, of a few months and i was using mostly um solving tactics and then kind of logging it down in the book and reviewing how my performance was and so forth and i remember it was just a you know month or two after i'd started that that i got my best tournament result ever i so i got nice. second place in the under seven under 1750 tournament and yeah at that time i could honestly say that i had a training program that was that was actually real you know i was actually kind of sticking to it um and i was doing useful stuff pretty much daily um and somehow i lost that routine um which which you know was a bit of a shame really and i think i remember i started that i started that uh, training routine in the christmas holidays funnily enough because i had yeah. i had lots of time off work and you know it, it was the new year coming up so i was like okay let's let's establish something new uh and uh it lasted a while and then <laughs> then faded away so may maybe maybe this this uh christmas period is is the one where i can sort of get back into that and have a properly structured um training system that might uh might bear some fruit yeah and we'll definitely talk about like what we're, you know both yourself and myself are maybe thinking about going forward one of the things i think i was most captured by that you tried this year was, and correct me if it wasn't this year, I'm lost all concepts of time this year, I think, 
Um, but I'm pretty sure you started playing E4. That was my joke about it being positionally inaccurate, right? You used to play D4. Um, in fact, I think I switched to D4 just when you, uh, um, started doing some coaching sessions with me. Right. Right. Yeah. You decided you wanted to play more of these open positions, these more, more of these tactical positions, because you felt like you weren't, that wasn't your strength, right? That was your weakness. So you're like, I'll play gambits for an entire year and I'll make it, I'll fix that hole in my game, right? So was that this year? And also like hats off to you. That's an incredible thing to do. Um, I think it's a really brave thing to do. I did something similar in thinking I'm going to play really boring openings, copy Keith Urkel's opening repertoire, and I'm going to do that whilst I'm studying end games. And I know that I should probably do something like what you've just done because that's also now a, like a weaker part of my game, but I'm too scared because I'm good at this now, Finn. How do I stop? <laughs> right, right, yeah. So, so I just, I just checked my, um, I checked my kind of um, ECF um, database page to, to check, just to refresh my memory of which tournaments I played E4 in and which tournaments I played D4 in. So, so basically, 2022. I, I think I switched to E4 sort of mid 2022, and then. Okay. Uh, finished, well, changed back to D4 mid-2023, uh, rough, roughly speaking. So it was about a year of um, playing E4, and it was like basically two two tournaments uh, that I played E4 in, along with you know, regular club games and, and so forth. I, I mean, I think I, I have mixed feelings about it, because on the plus side, I... So, so actually, part of the reason why I decided to to play some gambits and try to play some sharp positions was I started thinking, started forming the view that a lot of players around my sort of level, so intermediate level, low intermediate level, maybe you could call that, don't really understand the the value of initiative, especially in situations where one side is a pawn up. So, uh, you know, just based on the you know, content that I was seeing from, from, um, yeah, grandmasters on YouTube, things like that. And my, my coach, I was thinking, well, I really get this, you know, I get, I get this idea of, you know, you sacrifice a pawn and you have really active pieces and you, you have, you have, um, you know, maybe attacking ideas or positional compensation or whatever it is. I really get this. And therefore, shouldn't I try to deliberately create situations on the board where, I can use my strong understanding of this, these dynamics to, to then, you know, get an advantage or, or get positions that I, I like or understand well, as opposed to try equal positions, which I sometimes don't understand very well, right? Cause, you know, what do you do in dry equal positions? Sometimes it's, it's hard to come up with ideas. You know, when, when you've got super active pieces in the Smith Morrow Gambit, but you're a born down, you, you, you kind of know what you have to do, right? You, you have to create some drama before uh, before you just reach some terrible endgame one pawn down. Um, so, so that that was kind of the the idea, but unfortunately, um, <laughs> the reality turned out to be that uh, more more of the time, more often than not, I was actually reaching positions where. I was a pawn down and the compensation, if it existed, was 
was very difficult to understand. <laughs> so, so you know, while there are many positions where you know I do I do understand where the compensation is and so forth, and you know sometimes sometimes I I you know was able to to use the the compensation and so forth, but I, I was finding that you know very often I, I would sort of end up thinking at some point in the game why did I do this? You know, why did I give away that pawn? Because I don't feel I'm particularly worse than this player, but it's just that they now have a pawn. <laughs> and, uh, that, that, that's, um, so that, that became a bit annoying, like just, just psychologically, right? I almost felt that I was, um, going into these games where I was going to play gambit lines at an unnecessary disadvantage or just maybe being a bit on edge. Right. Because it is the other thing, right? So I think, you know, there were definitely lines, opening lines where I felt totally fine. Like I think, for example, Smith Morrow Gambit as white, uh, I didn't lose many games. I, I don't think I lost any classical games, uh, rated classical games in the Smith Morrow. Um, however, you know, obviously you've got to prepare a whole repertoire with, with E4. And, you know, if, if I had, for the sake of argument, seven or eight gambits in the, in the locker, well, some of them I was very well prepared in, but some of them I was not very well prepared in because, you know, my night time to prepare and so forth. So, you know, even just before the game actually started, I had sometimes I had anxiety like, oh God, what if they play the French and I've got, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm playing the Northern Barry Gambit, but there are these lines that I don't really understand and I'm going to be a pawn down and my position's going to be terrible after 10 moves. You know, it's just not the kind of, um, well, maybe some people can hack it, but I, I started to, to feel, um, too on edge, right? Because, uh, <laughs> I knew that these openings were risky and, uh, some of them I, I wasn't that confident in. Now, now the thing is, um, the one reason I have mixed feelings about it is I've now gone back to D4, which is why I always played before, really, or I'd been playing for a long time. But the thing is, now I'm rusty in D4 openings. <laughs> so, um, so now, and you know, I was getting used to my crazy gambits. Um, you know, so for example, I, I was very nervous about playing the Milner Barry gambit against the French for a while. But actually, towards the end of the period where I was playing E4, I, I really grew to like it and actually had some really good games in it. I had some very painful defeats in it earlier on. So um, I'm really unsure as to whether I made the right decision to, to kind of return to, to D4 where I felt more comfortable because I, I did build up quite a bit of knowledge and experience and, and comfort playing the, the sharper positions. And it feels a little bit like I've kind of lost the benefit that I gained from, from doing that by switching back. On the other hand, um, I do think that I'm, I'm more comfortable in sharp positions now. Um, I think in particular in sharp opening positions, because um, to, to be honest, um, the, playing gambits in the opening doesn't necessarily translate to seeing sharp positions in the middle game or, or end game. Uh, okay. you know, it just depends what happens, right? But um, yeah, certainly for sharp openings, I, I, I feel pretty, pretty comfortable, at least more comfortable than I did before I uh, tried out the gambits. Great, yeah. So, but okay, you don't feel like it is sort of translated into a tangible thing that you can take into your your new game, or that um, there's not more understanding there of the value of time or uh, how to create imbalances when you're behind. 
To, to an extent, maybe. I mean, I, I think probably the, the, the biggest concrete skill I, I could say that I picked up from it was, I think I'm now a lot better at defending when being a pawn down. <laughs> because <laughs> defending bad positions when, when being a pawn down. Because uh, it never used to happen. <laughs> or it seldom used to happen. Whereas, whereas after I started playing gambits, that actually happened quite a bit. <laughs> I, th- I think um, the, I, the way I would describe it is, um, I, I, I think I already had a a fairly decent um, understanding of you know, initiative and, and attacking and things for for my for my level, and that that was partly why I wanted to to play the gambit openings in the first place. Part, partly to test myself in that regard, but. Partly because I was kind of hoping, well, maybe this will suit me a bit more. Now, I, I do think, um, I, I, I do think, uh, it, the, the experience has made me a, a bit better at, you know, looking for tactics and trying to sustain the initiative and, and so forth. It's a little hard to, to be sure about that, right? Cause it's like, who's going to, who's going to quantify that for you? Um, it's really like a, a kind of subjective. Feeling to, to an extent of like how how strong you you feel you are with these things. So yeah, I mean, I I, I would recommend it to people who, um, well, first of all, just you know might find it to be a, a fun and interesting experience to just change the kind of opening positions you're getting, and and to people who you know want to test their their tactical abilities and ability for the initiative. I think um, yeah, I I was just. You know, um, perhaps one reason why I felt that I was often, you know, running out of compensation is probably because my calculation is actually not good enough. But mm. because, um, I think, I think sometimes, especially when I was reviewing the games, I realized, oh, there is still compensation there. I thought that there was, there was none. <laughs> because, because actually the reason there's compensation is because of some very specific tactical thing going on in the position. And I just didn't look at that, you know, cause, uh, <laughs> I just didn't, didn't see, see well enough or didn't, didn't, uh, didn't think to, to kind of calculate it more thoroughly. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe in a way it was a kind of humbling thing of, Maybe I overestimated my <laughs> my understanding of of, um, of these things a little, a little bit, and actually it was getting. It, I think it was maybe starting to have a bit of a negative effect on the results as well. So, mm. uh, I mean, the results weren't terrible at all, but they were just they were just okay, you know. Um, so yeah, it was kind of um, yeah uh, overall. Um, had had lots of benefits to it to, to trying it, but also feels like it had quite a lot of costs as well. I mean, for instance, I wonder if I just stuck with D4 the whole time, maybe I'd be really, really good at a lot of D4 openings now, about better than I actually am at, at this moment. Yeah, I think that's the one of the weird things about chess, right? Is you can study one element of the game and you can feel yourself like I understand this better. I am better. I am a better chess player, but the number doesn't go up because there's just so many other factors to being a chess player. And it's, it's, it's chess is quite unique in that, uh, you know, aspect before. I mean, you know, if someone's hobby was, uh, I don't know, knitting, 
welcome, prepare yourself for the worst example of all time. And they said to you, you know, I've been looking at these knitting things on YouTube. This is getting worse. And, uh, and they said, and now I feel like I'm much better at knitting than I was last month. You just go, yeah, okay. You just believe them, right? And they believe <laughs> themselves. Whereas, you know, as you speak to someone in chess, they're like, oh yeah, I've been studying, um, you know, these middle game structures for the last few months, um, but I haven't gotten any better. You know, well, that's not true, right? If you feel like you're more comfortable in those positions and you feel like you're better, just because you're not higher rated yet, doesn't mean you didn't learn anything, right? It doesn't mean you didn't mm -hmm. get better. Mm -hmm. It's just that there's too many other factors to, to yet have the entirety of you as a chess player uh, improve numerically. I think that's that's definitely true to a degree, and um, we definitely should be um, a bit suspicious of thinking of the the number as a, a fully objective measure of, of how good you are. Uh, I mean, there's definitely um, variance, and there's definitely uh, sometimes rating inflation or deflation or so forth. But by the way, one curious thing about my opening shift is um, so so I was also playing the the Gambit openings in, in Blitz online and everything. And my Blitz rating just did not change at all when I when I switched. And, I, you know, actually, I was a bit surprised by that because some people told me or you know, just said things like, well, you know, if you uh, try out very different kind of openings or different positions, you can probably expect a bit of a, a, a hit to your rating for a while. And I, I think, yeah, I didn't notice that at all, um, which was a bit surprising, but I, I think probably just also attests to the fact that probably the main determinants of uh, how successful we are in chess are about middle game and end game uh, play. You know, I, I think, of course, opening disasters sometimes happen, but um, they're not super common once you get to a certain level and uh, you can kind of eliminate those by preparing carefully enough. Um, or pretty much eliminate them. Uh, so yeah, I think I think um, yeah. It, ultimately, you know, maybe maybe um, part of what I learned is that um, the the opening you choose is not going to um, make a, a an enormous difference to, to to your level either. Sure. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I think you know that's uh, that's what everyone seems to say. It's certainly. My experience as well. I'm just happy to have a position I understand out of the opening. And, um, yeah, but it, it, it's rare that I'll win or lose a game in the first few moves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So you mentioned your, uh, your rating a few times there. Um, you're a sort of intermediate club level player. And actually, I think you were around probably the same rating I am now when you first started, uh, coaching me. So. My question is then, what value do you think a non-titled chess coach can bring to a student? Like, why, why would you pick a non-titled chess coach when there are hundreds of masters out there to pick from? Okay, so possibly an undervalued skill of, of a chess coach, or you could say of a teacher generally, is empathy. Okay, so, I mean, think of non-chess teaching for a second. Uh, I mean... Uh, if you're in a maths class and you you call out an answer or you, you give your solution to some mathematical problem and the teacher just says, no, complete, complete nonsense, here's the real answer. Is that useful? I mean, 
it might be useful to an extent, but I think what would be more useful is for the maths teacher to try to understand why did you think that was a good answer? Because um, if they can understand why you thought it was a good answer, they can actually tell you things that will help you solve future mathematical problems of that nature in a, in a better way. Uh, whereas just hearing the right answer to that one specific problem just doesn't do that, right? It just, just tells you something very local and specific. So um, to, to me, um, chess coaches really need to be able to understand the, the mentality of, of their students, you know, so, and that means to understand why they played certain moves, why, why they have a certain style, why they are prone to making certain kinds of mistakes. And uh, I'm sure many title players uh, have the ability to, to do that. Um, there's no doubt, there's no doubt that many of them do. But actually, um, in some cases, the gap between where the title player is uh, and where the student is might be so enormous that it's actually really hard for the title player to, to understand what is going on in the head of the lower rated student. Um, and uh, I, that, that can be a real problem, right? Because um, it can lead to the, the coach kind of um, focusing on the wrong things or misdiagnosing what's really the problem. Mm. I mean, I, 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 I'll tell you a, a kind of a theory that I came up with um, yeah, just based on something, a very kind of individual personal experience I, I, I've had, right? So I, I'm a huge fan of Daniel Naroditsky videos, right? I think he's fantastic. Obviously, super talented coach, very good coach, very good at understanding, you know, other people's thought processes, listening to them, so on and so forth. So, you know, on paper, you would think Naroditsky would be one of the title coaches who could coach anyone, you know, and I'm sure he can coach someone of any level and have really good success. However, I noticed after I watch his speedrun videos, if I go and play a game right after, I play like trash. And I think I know why. It's because for Naroditsky, things come super easy, right? He can see tactics so easily. He can identify bad moves super easily. And after I've just watched Naroditsky for an hour, I try and copy how he thinks. So like, I, I see my opponent makes a move and I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Well, Naroditsky would say that that's a positional mistake because of blah, blah, blah. And I, I play what I think is the refutation and then I realize they were setting up a tactic and I just get checkmated. Because, um, like, I, you know, it, whereas for Naroditsky, he would have seen that checkmate coming a mile off, but my brain is, is nowhere near his. Um, and so if I try and imitate his thought process, um, it just doesn't work. I mean, basically, my my brain during a chess game comes up with a lot of really bad ideas. Like it, it comes up with a lot of moves which are just. And Naroditsky would never have considered those moves because it would just be so obvious to him that no, no, just 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 don't. Uh, but to me, I'm like, oh, oh, that looks good. Um, and then it takes me time. It takes like minutes to 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 be like, oh, is this actually good? Is it not? I, I need to try and figure this out, right? So. So to me, what, what's uh, a really difficult question to answer, like for, for someone stronger might, might be, you know, just not a question. Um, mm -hmm. and that, that's, that I think illustrates, um, wh why 
there's a lot to be said for having a coach who's sort of fairly close to your level, right? Because um, the kind of problems that you find tricky will be you know, at least somewhat similar, right? And that yeah, that's actually maybe useful. even ones that, that your coach might have solved themselves or in their own game not that mm. long ago. Mm, exactly, um, yeah. exactly. And and of course, of course, we want our coach to to give a a more informed, uh, you know, perspective than, than our own. Um, but, um, yeah, we also need someone who can speak to us in a language we understand, uh, and can also, you know, at the same time, you know, that they're, they're not <laughs> in a way like, um, no, of course, I'm, I'm sure that people like Naroditsky and title players are not going to be thinking, you know, what an idiot this person is, you know, because they, they don't see these tactics. But but it's almost like um, that they're still going to be thinking like why 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 is this person like not not seeing this it's second nature to me so I think um, yeah it, having a coach who kind of who's kind of like I get it I understand why it's wrong and I can tell you why it's wrong but I get it <laughs> that that's that's um, that's quite a nice thing to have it's a useful thing to have as well yeah I think that's a that's a good answer it's a good perspective for sure. Okay, question from a Patreon supporter of the show, Don Lawson. Uh, thanks for the question, Don. Don has a fantastic blog, by the way, which I'll uh, link to in the show notes. Um, so she asks, uh, based on coaching me uh, and our uh, first coaching experiences together, uh, are you surprised that I ended up as a chess coach and a personality? I'm not entirely sure that I'd call myself a chess personality, Don, but uh, thanks. Uh, what do you think then? So um, I'm not surprised that you became a chess coach. Uh, and that's because I, I think um, when we first started meeting it, it was, it was very clear that you were really driven to, to improve. Um, and so I think it's kind of natural for people who um, are really driven to understand chess to want to kind of share that, share that understanding. Um, so that, that, that made a lot of sense and that, that wasn't, wasn't surprising. I guess at that time I didn't, I didn't know that, um, that you kind of had such great ability to like, to kind of write as well. Right. So, and that was really kind of how you kind of launched, launched yourself onto the scene through, through your blog and everything. So, um, obviously I had no reason to think that you, well, not a, uh, a writer or not a good writer, but it's just, it, I just wasn't aware of it. So, um, yeah, um, that, that was, um, yeah, I, I guess, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't particularly predict that, that part. All right. Well, thanks for the question, Don. Um, all right. So let's talk about our next year then, Finn. Uh, so we sort of talked a little bit what, about how this past year has gone. I can certainly, uh, empathize and relate to the year you've had with um yeah being a bit stop start i definitely started the year with you know the consistent training plan that i had and now uh and i sort of lost it basically throughout the year moving countries and everything um but i really want to use the new year to um launch uh back into it again basically and i thought it would be great to have you my first coach here to help um to devise a plan uh going forward so the issue is maintaining actually doing it, right? I've, I've mm. got 
a very clear idea. And I give this to my students as well of like what you need to be doing to actually improve. And so maybe I can just outline that very briefly first and then tell you why I don't want to do it. So um, basically I get everyone doing really easy tactics like pattern recognition stuff mm. every single day. And I, I get them doing that with a special um, method that Alex Crompton outlined um, partly in his blog. And again, I'll link to that in the show notes, but we sort of tweaked that together, me and uh, not me and Alex, he sort of tweaked that and shared it with me. And we, he keeps me updated on how he optimizes that process. And I pass that along to my students. And so this easy pattern recognition, like easy one, two move tactics, uh, puzzle rush type stuff, right? The first, <laughs> first puzzle rush, uh, puzzles. Um, and, um, then, also every day doing a few really difficult puzzles, like the ones um, that we we go over in the, the tactics group, the chess punks tactics group, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're sitting down, you're spending five to 10 minutes, really moving the pieces around in your head. Um, pawn end game uh, puzzles, I think are great for this because the, the solutions tend to be quite long a lot of the time. And so it can really stretch your, your visualization. Um, And then playing and analyzing, basically. Um, That's the third thing. And those are the three skill-based things. Then, of course, there is knowledge, but I've always been sort of content to follow, or I am more recently, I would say, more content to just follow my enthusiasm now because I realized if I sit down and say, right, the next six weeks is all going to be about, you know, the advanced Karukan or, you know, same color bishop endgames, then I, I feel boxed in and I, and I don't necessarily mm-hmm. learn as well as I would if I just followed my enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. So the knowledge, I let go where it goes. Um, but that's like the basis of the skill-based study plan. Problem is, I, I really struggle to maintain that daily practice. And I know if I don't do the daily practice, I'm just gonna uh, stop and do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so basically what I want to do this year and I'm curious as to whether or not you think I can improve doing this is to just play because I'm really loving playing over the board. There are three yeah. chess clubs here. I could play and I, I won't, <laughs> I don't intend to do this, but I worked out I could probably play 150 over the board games this year, right? If I went every week to this club, um, mm. To, to every club in the city. I mean, that's how many games I could hammer in. Now, I'm not going to do that. I can't. I think my wife would leave me if I spent 12 hours a week, <laughs> uh, three evenings a week playing chess, particularly since one of them's on a Friday night. But um, yeah, what do you think? Just playing and analyzing, can it be done? Um, I think it can be done. And um, I think it's, um, it, it's, I don't think it would be the, the worst the worst thing for your chess, especially because I, I know that you in particular have done quite a lot of pretty heavy duty studying of certain, at least certain parts of the game, right? So quite heavy duty study of end games, for, for instance. So I've, you know, normally my concern might be, do you have enough of a solid background in, you know, important strategic stuff that you need you kind of need to know and so but actually I feel like you've probably got that and so you, you you've looked at a broader range of um you know, let, let's say important ideas um than than a lot of players at your rating level uh, have looked at. Um so so in that sense, you know, maybe for you just in doing a lot of playing and analyzing uh 
Sounds good. I guess my question would be, what's the analyzing going to look like? Is, is that going to be analyzing solo? Um, or is it going to be analyzing you know, with your opponents, with, with peers? Uh, what, what's, what would that be like? It's a good question. Yeah, I think mostly it will be analyzing with my opponents. Uh, I think you pretty much always get a post-mortem, at least I've never not had one at least offered um, after the, the games. And um, yeah, and then also I do my own analysis after that. So the process basically play the game, go over it with the opponent, go home. And then the way I analyze is I try to write down my thoughts in my first pass as if I could almost print out my internal dialogue onto the page. That's what I do in the first pass. So I don't really, I'm not bothered about the chess. I'm just like printing out my thoughts as I thought them and then writing down any variations that I calculated during the game. And Mm -hmm. then I'll start to go through it again and like start thinking a bit more critically about, okay, what could have I done differently? Mm -hmm. Um, So there's basically three passes through it, I think. Um, And maybe I'll do a final pass with the engine as well if I, you know, can't help myself. (laughs) <laughs> at the end of it all, yeah, it's, I'm I'm already impressed if you have the discipline to do to to run throughs with no engine, like that. That's that's better better than what I usually manage. Um, so <laughs> so um, yeah, but um, I I suppose one thing I would say that is um, I, I mean the, the the trouble with postmortems is that they they tend to be rather short, right? Because um, you know, often games in Europe are finishing quite late in the evening and sometimes it's difficult to, I don't know about your clubs, but certainly for me, it's difficult to find space where you can actually talk uh, without disturbing other players and so forth. So like I, in my classical games, I I don't tend to get good quality postmortems there and then. One thing that I've started trying to do is um, actually seeing if my opponent's willing to swap email addresses or phone numbers uh, after the game. Uh, sometimes I invite them to the tactics group, uh, by the way. You're more than welcome to invite them to, to the tactics group that I run as well, uh, just as a way of kind of saying, well, you know, it's um, actually quite a few of the current members are, are people that I played OTB. Um, okay, so, nice. Yeah, um, and it's a nice way to keep in touch. And, and of course, they're often around your sort of level. So they're, they're people, all of your opponents are people who could potentially become training partners. Now, now, of course, not all of them will have the time or, or the inclination, especially if they're stronger players. You know, they, they might, um, they, they might just not be interested in playing against or training with mere mortals. But, but, you know, I have found that, you know, quite a few people, um, at the very least will, will kind of, they'll want a proper postmortem. And then you can actually just do that on Zoom a bit later on. And I, I, I would say that, um, um, if playing and analyzing is going to be your main, your main approach, I think it would be healthy to get as many different people, uh, involved in your analysis process as, as possible. Um, which means uh, opponents. It also maybe means, you know, if you've got some, some friends who are training partners, you know, show them your games and they can show you their games, uh, and, you know, analyze them together. And I, I think that, that will, because yeah, you, you that that's also part of the value that you would get from a book, right? You you get another chess thinker's perspective coming in, um, and I, I so I think that um, you know if if your only source of kind of um, other chess brains coming in was in the kind of rushed 
post-mortem that you do when you're tired after a long game, that that might not be the best. Yeah, I mean, actually, I, I have to say the, the post-mortems that I get are generally pretty good, like they, they, and they can last a while. Actually, I oh, think okay. people are quite dedicated to, to sit down. I don't know if it's just the, the culture here in the Netherlands or, or what. Um, even though we're, we're finishing quite late, um, people are normally happy to sit down, have a drink with you and, and go over it properly. At least that's been my experience so far. Um, not always. It depends sometimes on the result. You know, it can be a sore one for either of you and you just want to get out of there also. Um, but yeah, and I think the, the reason I want to do this, I should probably say is because I feel like the mistakes I'm making are coming from errors in my thought process and in my decision-making model. Actually, that's not even true. I like my decision-making model. Like I feel like it's really good and it's solid and it's good for me. Um, my problem is I'm not following it, right? Because I'll slip up, right? I have a very thorough um, like blunder check. That, and I wrote a whole article about this called What the Fork is a Blunder Check, where I basically say, what does the move do? What's the move no longer do as soon as my opponent makes their move? And that means literally listing the things that a piece attacks when it moves and mm -hmm. what lines and diagonals are opened up, just investigating the move, basically making grounding yourself in it. Mm -hmm. And I sort of trigger myself to remember to do that by every time I touch my pen, I'll like pick my hand up again and be like, whoa, okay, I haven't even done, I didn't ask the questions yet. So I won't even write my opponent's move <laughs> down until I've done that. And oh. I'm really consistent with that. That's um, good. And then when it's my move, when I'm reaching forward to touch the piece, that's also supposed to be like this physical trigger for me to, to not, you know, to go, okay, mm -hmm. right now I'm going to ask, answer the questions for my move, right? What am I undefending with this? Now, so there's nothing like that's great. That's a great model to have. The problem is I, some, I, I've noticed in a, well, like for, let's use my last over the board game. I lost my last over the board game in an extremely painful way playing a game and I was, you know, thinking to myself, what, this is just a positional masterpiece, this, <laughs> you know, I was playing it and okay, my opponent was maybe allowing it somewhat, but either way, I was feeling very good about my position. And, um, I hung a mate in three, uh, mm. just, I just, you know, I knew I can't undefend this square, right? I, and I was very much aware of that for several moves and then um, you know, I tried to ask this why, right? Why did I not do the check? Because if I just simply said before I moved the, if I just moved the knight off of F3 and undefended, uh, H2 basically, <laughs> and it was fatal. And so if I just said, you know, what, what's, what am I no longer doing when I moved this? I'd immediately listed H2 and be like, oh yeah, I can't touch that knight. Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't do it. And the reason I didn't do it was because I'd gotten distracted, right? So there was like a little commotion on another board. And so I looked up and I got distracted. And when I came back to look at the board, I never took the time to re-engage myself my, in my own thought process. And also, I was a little bit low on time. And when I say a little bit low on time, I still had like 20 minutes. But in this, in a 90-minute game, I was significantly behind on the clock as well, I'd say. Mm. It's like about... Mm. 20 minutes down on the clock as well. Um, so I felt rushed. And so I was like, okay, and, and, you know, I just need to move now. And I moved. So it was like a combination of getting distracted. And then, but the distraction wasn't the, the problem. It was then not getting back into it and feeling mm -hmm. rushed by the time. And so none of that is in a chess book. 
right? No amount of tactics will help me spot that. It's not that I missed the meeting three. I was aware of his existence. I just somehow had a, like a complete meltdown, mm. basically. Mm. And so it's about understanding myself better, I feel like, and, and refining my thought process until it, it's less holy. Uh, right. It's mm. less, uh, you know, it's less flawed. I see. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. So I do, I do think, um, yeah, I, I, for you, for you in particular, I, I do think that, um, to, to me, it feels like, um, that there's, that you've got lots of just skill and knowledge kind of there. Uh, and it's, it's probably, it does take a certain amount of over the board experience before it, it's kind of able to, to come out and really show itself. Um, so, um, so yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I, I feel pretty confident that as you rack up more experience, cause, cause you know, you, you haven't played that many OTB rated games, right? I think about 20 at this point. So like, it, it's really early days. And yeah. Yeah. So I, I definitely 100% think that maximizing the number of OTB classical games you get will, will do, do a lot of good for you. But, but, um, do I understand correctly then? So, so are you, does this mean that you're kind of, so what you're going to play maybe, maybe one, maybe two classical OTB games per week and you're going to analyze them? So, so one aim for two a week. Yeah. Two, two a week. But is, so is there going to be any other staple part of your training routine that you're going to aim to keep? during this new year period. Well, I was hoping you could just say, no, that sounds fine. You don't have to do anything else. <laughs> and I could get away with it. But no, I'm aware I'm going to have to keep up a diet of ta- tactics, I think, because the calculation I'll get at the board, right? That's fine. I feel like I could probably leave the calculation if I, if I really feel like I don't have the energy for it. Um, but I feel like the parent recognition, there's just no way around it. Like I feel like that's kind of like going to the gym every day. Mm. You know, you need to stay fit or, you know, mm. um, you're just not going to be able to turn up at the race. So, mm. yeah, I feel like maybe that's unavoidable. What do you think? Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I I was going to say, I think um, if if you were playing and analyzing, but doing zero tactics puzzles, you know, like a week, I, I, I would be a bit worried that, that, yeah, you might, you might suffer a bit from that. Because also bear in mind, um, it's not just whether you see the the tactic. It's also how how fast you you see it during the game. Because if if you're playing against someone very equal to you in strength, then like having an extra five minutes on the clock in the end game might be the difference between being able to beat them and, and not. And so, I mean, I I feel this very strongly because I think I'm quite slow at figuring out tactics. Um, and so you know, I I kind of. I know that part of the reason I'm taking a lot of time during games is because like things take me a little longer to figure out and sometimes I pay the price for that. So yeah, I, I do think, um, you should continue doing, doing the easy tactics. Um, I, I guess I was also just thinking, um, to, to me, like at least, um, so, so I think if I tried to have the approach of just playing and analyzing and also maybe just doing tactics, I'm, I'm not sure I'd be able to, to keep doing that because, um, there's a certain amount of time in my week where I've got time at home available to do chess stuff, right? And 
I don't think I would only want to populate that time with those things just because it's too fun to like doing the other stuff is going to be, is going to be fun. And therefore I'm going to be attracted to, to doing it. Um, so, so, um, now, now of course you can respond to that by just saying, I've got the discipline to, to stick to this and, you know, maybe it's the best plan. So you, you'll do it. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, do, do you maybe want to allow yourself to, to branch out just a little, a little more? Maybe you could, for instance, pick one other activity that just, just based training activity that you could do just in case things get old otherwise. Sure. Well, I mean, I will also say that I'm also spending at least like three hours a day analyzing other people's games and then a further three hours teaching chess. <laughs> so like the, the basics I'm constantly reinforcing for myself, if that makes sense, through teaching, which I actually do think is valuable. I've heard a lot of people say that they think that coaching uh, makes their own chess worse. Um, I don't think that. Um, honestly, I actually think it, it helps me to like be constantly every day saying out loud, you know, just some of the things that just reinforcing basic principles, basically, uh, or, you know, teaching stuff I already know. Um, so that I continue to know it. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, so I'm also getting that. So I think that maybe counts as part of my training. And I'm certainly staring at a chessboard for hours and hours a day. Uh, okay. On top of my okay. own chest. Yes. Yeah. L- let me ask one question then. So, um, in 2024, what, what do you think you'll be doing to address your biggest chest weaknesses? Well, hopefully that will be the analysis. I think that's what will be addressing my weaknesses, right? It'll be understanding, like, for example, I, I just feel like I have a lot of thought process errors. Another thing I, I've been struggling with, and this is partly, I think it's switched to the time control, but again, okay, it's a, it's part, that's something I need to work on, which is when I see a win, a tactical win, like for example, um, at a game that I should have, you know, I should have finished the game with this tactic, right? I was like, I'm winning a piece. I'm sure I'm winning a piece. I calculate it all. And this is fairly early in the game. Uh, we, we both had over an hour on our clocks and I was just winning a minor piece. And I spent five minutes double checking my calculation. And then I missed the key intermediate move and the tactic didn't work anymore. Mm. And it's Mm. like, well, if, you know, I need to, this is like, I need to realize if you see a win that's essentially going to end the game, right? In a classical game, up a piece, I I trust myself to probably finish that off against an equal opponent. Mm. Um, Why am I only spending five minutes? I should have spent 15 minutes just to be absolutely certain, you know, like when I see that win, you know, this early in the game, like I can play the rest of the game as fast as I like after that. So that's like the kind of thing I'm, I, I need to understand through analysis. I need to understand myself better, I feel like, in order to improve. So that's where I feel like I'm going to shore up my weaknesses is through this like self-analysis, through this introspection, which is, you know, mostly what I believe drives chess improvement, right? That's my coaching philosophy as well is, trying to get students to understand themselves or at least being like another voice because I think, and maybe you're right that I do need to bring more people in because one of the things I think I can do as a coach is sort of say, well, it's sometimes it's hard to see your own flaws, right? We all know that from life as well as in chess. So as much as I might 
try and look at them myself. Maybe it's nice to have someone sitting next to me to say, well, yeah. <laughs> That's what I was going to say, because um, at least this is what I, I find for, my, for myself. I don't know to what extent it's true for others. But um, when I analyze my own games, my analysis usually suffers from similar flaws to, to my play. Um, now, of course, my analysis is a bit better than my play because I've got more time to think about it and so forth. But, and, and some, and sometimes if I'm analyzing using the engine, then my analysis suffers from laziness. And so, you know, if I'm analyzing completely independently, then it's, you know, there are things that I'm missing that I should be thinking about. If I'm analyzing with the engine, then it's, it's feeding me the answers without, without me having to work out what I, should have been thinking about. So I, and here's the other thing. So because we have certain weaknesses, we will also be steering the game in certain directions and not others. So just analyzing your over the board games, like for you as a more positional player, like a lot of your games are going to go into grindy positional things. Now, now of course, occasionally your, your opponents will just attack you and you'll have no choice but to go into some craziness but maybe the percentage of the time that's going to happen is, is not not very high and that might mean that if your if your main sort of training diet is um let's say positional games and some simple tactics my my thought would be maybe you're missing out on like sharp middle games where like maybe that there are no clear-cut winning tactics but it's just a very sharp position and uh i don't know it might be something like um you know you, you've got the bishop pair but you're a pawn down um and like you've got to use some sort of initiative with the bishops to to do something um so you know that's why i was thinking i i wouldn't want you to have a a restricted and overly narrow diet of positions to to, to look at um to some extent of course that will be um Counted by the fact that you're training others and they might get <laughs> crazy positions all the time. I, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I, I, I have a feeling that it's, that there's something to be said for sort of forcing ourselves to, to look at the kind of positions that we don't understand. Um, yeah. a bit like the chess dojo endgame sensei philosophy, right? So, so Jesse says to David and Kostya, you guys aren't as good at end games as you should be. I'm going to force you to do them for like three hours a week, and we're going to like discuss them together until you get that type of end game. Um, yes. And you know, for you, that might be um, well, just force yourself to look at these really crazy middle games with I don't know opposite sides castling or, or whatever, and and just you know, when when you get fed up with your general training routine, that that's kind of like your Oh well, you know what? I'm just going to spend an hour doing that today because, you know, I want to um, uh, broaden broaden my my uh, skill set, right? Right. Well, yeah, I think uh, I think that's good. Then I think I can play, analyze, do a bit of pattern recognition work, but mm, somehow find a way to also introduce positions that aren't designed to put my opponents to sleep. By move twelve, <laughs> exactly. Because um, hopefully that means, well, you know, may maybe, and it's true for all of us, by the way. You know, all of us have 
types of positions that we we like and types of positions we don't like. One one of the biggest factors, in my opinion, that's going to determine the consistency of your results is how do you cope when you end up in positions you're you're not comfortable in that you don't like mm. because it will happen. And in, and in fact, um, you know, opponents might sometimes kind of um, deliberately make it happen. <laughs> either because they they know you or because maybe they can like tell that you're wanting to steer the game in a particular direction. I, I had a really good example of that in the forty five forty five Lee Chess League. Uh, so I think I think in uh, in the league season, um, I think I lost maybe two games at, in the season, and one of them I remember like a little bit similar to to what you mentioned about your your positional masterpiece. Like I'd really played the opening so well, and it was all looking great. And then suddenly my opponent sacks a bishop in the middle of the board and it, it goes from a very, very kind of quiet positional game where I'm much better to complete carnage. Um, and I don't mind carnage, you know, like it's, I mean, it, it's not my best thing, but I, um, you know, it, I kind of, I, I like it, you know, even if I'm not that good at it. But um, the thing is my, my opponent, I kind of found out later on is like a only carnage kind of player. <laughs> so, so he was going to do something to create carnage, no matter what. Um, and you know, one, once the carnage ensued, I, I wasn't strong enough. You know, I, I wasn't good enough for just navigating the sharp position. So, you know, in order to have, you know, ultimately, if we're if we're wanting big rating gains, we're going to need consistency and results. Um, and that means, um, you know, we might <laughs> try and steer away from chaos as much as we can but um you know every so often every every few games or whatever it will it will come <laughs> so like um I, I think um yeah we all, all chess improvers to an extent need to um need to kind of prepare for everything all, all kinds of all kinds of position uh, lean into the things that you know you are less comfortable in as as uncomfortable as that is that yeah. makes sense yeah, yeah, it does. I, I, um, I, I mean, um, and I suppose, you know, uh, it's kind of obvious to say, right? But, um, a- anyone who is, for example, a, a Fide master, like they can't be that bad at any part of the game, right? <laughs> they, they, they've, they've got to be pretty damn good at end games, pretty damn good at, um, tactics, pretty damn good at attacking. You know, sometimes they say things like, oh, you know, my end games are terrible. But um, they beat me in an end, in an equal end game probably nine times out of ten, right? So it's all it's all relative. Um, and uh, I think I think people who are seriously strong players, they of course they have some things that they are better at than than other things. But um, being well rounded is is very very crucial for sure. Great advice, Finn, and I really appreciate you helping me out. Uh, I think. I feel a bit more uh, confident about going into next year with this plan. I've been starting to to think that having training partners who you can meet reasonably regularly is is very, very crucial. I think it would be fine for it to be someone of around your strength, you know, who, who might for instance, in your particular situation, I suspect, well, I, I feel that I could benefit a great deal from learning endgame stuff from you. Um, and I think, you know, 
you could probably benefit from learning sharp middle game stuff from me. So, you know, may, maybe we should be meeting up, uh, you know, more often than just um, trading knowledge, you know, because like, okay, I mean, my rating's a bit higher than yours, but we have different strengths and we have different bits of knowledge that we can, we can share with each other. And, um, you know, maybe it won't be me, maybe it will be someone else that, that you, you know or get to know. But, um, yeah, it seems very likely to me that um, some other players at your level would be able to give you the sort of um, the, 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 the skills in the, in the sharp positions and attacking and drama. Um, and you, you'd be able to give them a lot of help with positional positional play. So, um, yeah, that, that's, um, you know, I, I would definitely strongly recommend thinking about... Um, yeah, how how you could maybe fit in work with training partners into the schedule. What what I would say about that, just from a sort of organizational point of view, is um, to try to make it the kind of thing where you don't like arrange a fixed time every week because that that's difficult to stick to. Um, what what works better, I think, is if you can just text them and be like, "I'm free right now. Are you free right now?" <laughs> like that that kind of thing. Um, how many children do you have, Finn? <laughs> so, so uh, well, zero. But um, <laughs> I, I mean, um, I, I'm I'm almost I'm not free that off that often for for like a, a long session, right? I, I'm very much like squeezing blitz games in here and there. But I I kind of think um, I do I do squeeze in blitz games here and there, right? So in principle, I could be squeezing in analysis with the training partner in in those. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll take you up on that offer then. Maybe, um, you know, we can grab some time every now and again together to just look at uh, some of each other's games and, yeah, and try and find that uh, diversity of, of skills amongst my peers as well. Sounds good. Great. Thanks, Finn. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we uh, think about wrapping up here? Um, let me think. Um, well, uh, I guess um, um, maybe I could just um, say a very quick thing, basically just inviting the listeners to come to the tactics group. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, yeah, so um, if there are any listeners who, who want to know more about the tactics group or would like to participate, basically we meet at 1900 UTC on Wednesday evenings. Um, the, and it's, it's hosted on Zoom. So, uh, yeah, you just need to, to hop into a Zoom meeting. We meet for one hour and we spend five minutes looking at puzzles on our own in silence. And then we discuss as a group until we reach a unanimous verdict on what the right solution is. Sometimes the discussion can be quite, quite long for the harder puzzles. Um, and yeah, so, so um, if you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at F.O. Donovan or on Leechess, F.O. Donovan. Um, and yeah, everyone is welcome to join in that group. Actually, recently we've started to kind of make the group a little bit more of a sort of um, uh, a kind of hub for people who, who want to, you know, train together and do other chess activities together as well so there's a whatsapp group now uh, where we sometimes drop that kind of message like hey is anyone free for some blitz games uh which has been nice 
And also a couple of our members are running a study group on Silman's Reassess Your Chess at the moment. Um, so yeah, it's a nice little community to, um, to come and check out. Uh, so yeah, just, um, I would be happy to hear from anyone who, who would like to join in. Fantastic. And I'll put links to all of the, that in the uh, show notes. Uh, thanks so much, uh, for coming to talk to me, Finn. Uh, it's been great to catch up with you and, uh, it's been, yeah, really fantastic to have you help, uh, for my study plan for 2024. Great. Thanks so much, Scott. Now I really appreciate being, being invited on and I really enjoyed the discussion. Thank you. Hi, it's Yara here. I'm Ono's wife and I'm the other half of the Ono Zone behind the scenes, which you might know by now at the end of season one. <laughs> so thank you for listening all the way to the end. And the Zoom hangout for this episode, as Ono said, will be on the 5th of January in the new year 2024. We wish you all the happiest of holidays. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to know more about Ono's chess coaching, uh, specialized in adult improvers, you can go check out the website, theonozone.com slash coaching, and you can book a free trial lesson there as well if you're interested in trying his coaching. And apart from that, make sure to check out the show notes. As always, we put some good stuff in there. Free study plan for the new year as well. If you want to um, start 2024 fresh, uh, just like Ono, in your chess study routine, I would definitely recommend that. And in the meantime, I wish you all the chess. <laughs>